this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. I'm going to start that over. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make an episode happen by joining at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. I put the emphasis on help us. I saw that. As if it's like, like a, a code to the, to the listener that we're actually under duress here. Uh, well, like, uh, since you read this every episode, it's yeah. good to change up the enunciation. It, 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 what did you say? Enunciation. Oh, okay. I thought you said enunciation. <laughs> That's right. how you enunciate it. That's how you enunciate it. You add another uh, T. You, I don't think that's true, but uh, let's uh, go with that. We are. It's like, it's like tsunami. Oh, is the it? T. Yeah. Like czar. Right. Got it. All right. Uh, we are uh, joined this week by the dynamic duo, the Batman and Robin, the uh, whatever the combinations, the Ace and Gary. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, of the Dig Me Out podcast. Welcome back, Stephen Musinski, Vadim Tavor. How you doing, guys? Pretty good. Awesome. Thanks for having us. A couple of patrons here to talk about a band that Stephen picked. It's a band that we've already talked about. Uh, it was way back, episode 350. So, like, halfway through the show, essentially. Because we're at episode 600 and a dozen or so here. So that's about, that's about halfway through the show at this point. Uh, I won't give it away yet. Stephen, please introduce to the audience the album that you picked for this episode. Uh, we picked an album from 1994 called Ignorus by Into Another. The album before the one y'all did previously, Seamless. Correct. Now, I had a trouble. I, I was trying to pronounce that album title uh, a couple different ways. I was like, ignorant, ignorass, ign- Ignoramus? Is that a dinosaur I'm not aware of? Like, what is going on? Steve pointed that out this week. <laughs> I was like, am I going to have to remind him of that? Well, now you, you said it, it makes it. sense. It's, it's, it makes sense. Uh, it's, not, it's sort of like uh, the, the word Siobhan and the spelling of Siobhan make no sense. But I somehow remember that. So I will remember this. But yes, we reviewed Seamless, which came out on Hollywood Records in 1995. This album, as you mentioned, came out in 94. This was on Revelation Records, which also put out their self-titled debut in 1991. Between them, they had an EP. I'm sure we covered this on the previous episode. We did some history of the band. Um, how did you guys discover Into Another? Um, well, I, I was told about Into Another from a friend um, named Andrew Truss. Shout out to my, my old friend, Andrew Truss. But he was shown into another by this guy sitting right next to me. So um, that's how that's how it came into my world. You want to you want to tell them how you found me? Sure. Yeah. Um, So I worked for Revelation uh, Records much later. Um, So if we need any background, I can 
provide a little bit there. Um, we might. There's a uh, um, there's a comp compilation, um, Re Revelation 50, the 50th title in their catalog called In Flight Compilation. And those things used to be pretty popular in the 90s. I, I don't know how much people actually listen to, uh, like, I guess mixes you could do on, on streaming services, but there was like a In Flight Records or In Flight Revelation Records compilation that had an Into Another song on it that I got, which was actually recorded in the same sessions as Ignorus, but it was from a seven inch they had put out shortly after um, this one right here. This is um, Herbivore, but the song, the song on um, that compilation was called To Be Free. And those two songs were recorded in the same session as Ignorus and did not make the album. So that was the first time I heard it, that was 1997. And I think they had just broken up. So I missed them when they, when they were around the first time. Fun fact, the song To Be Free is also on a Russian cassette compilation of punk, hardcore, emo, and indie. Including <laughs> such bands as Sick of It All, Less Than Jake, um, Earth Crisis. So there you go. If you have that, uh, you have a rare, uh, lesser, not an al a non-album track. Is that a non-album track? Is that what we call it? Yeah. Um, Jay, obviously, we're familiar with this band because we already talked about them once. This we did. Yep. We did. Uh, I had to go back, though, and now, I didn't really listen to the review, but I just listened to the album again because um, I kind of had a... Mem I had a you know a solid memory of what that sounded like in the general sense, but I didn't like remember the specifics, like what the vocalist sounded like, the guitar tones, that kind of stuff. So I went back and and listened to it. Did you resample that? Older I album? thought of, I thought about mm -hmm. it and I decided not to. Um, oh, because okay. I listened I listened to this a um, couple times and had some opinions that I didn't want to necessarily like qualify or change, depending on what the album sounded like reminding myself what the album sounded like after this. So I decided to just go with this one and see where it leads us. Gotcha. Now they, it sounds like they were together for only a short time in the nineties. Well, about five years based on their release, um, just history, but they did reunite in 2012 for the revelation records, 25 year anniversary. Did you go to that? Were you, were you working there then? I did. Um, I have the poster for it right to my side. I should have brought that up. And then I also have it into another poster right behind this as well, which you can't see. Yeah, I did. And um, so the, you know, in a nutshell, um, the band, it, it was, no one really thought that they would get back together because their bass player, who's a very prominent member of the band, um, had passed away. So there, you know, basically nobody thought that they would get back together. And my understanding is, is a couple guys approached them and said, Hey, we love into another so much. And we learned all the songs. We know, we know the songs and they just wanted to see if the other guys would be on board and trying to uh, get the band back together. And so that's what happened when, when they, and they couldn't find Peter Moses, the guitar player originally, I guess, I guess it took them a while to, uh, to <laughs> track him down and get him on board. So the reunion is three, you know, of the three original guys, plus these two, new guys that had nothing to do with the band in their initial run you know to some people out there hearing that they couldn't find a band member they might be like what he's he was in your <laughs> band but i i couldn't find my drummer right now if i needed to like 
I, I have no idea where he I, is. I know he's in I, a, I know what city he's in, but I haven't. I don't know where he is. I saw him in person a couple months ago. He exists. He does. Yes. <laughs> the legend exists. The legend. Real. The legend exists. Uh, let's get into some comments over at Patreon. We'll share the results of the poll, which I forgot to change the end date. So the poll's technically still going. Uh, we'll see where we end up. I'll tell you where we are when, when this episode uh, wraps up. But we got some comments. Uh, Bill Davidson said, I'm out of my element on this one. There's more compositional depth to this uh, band than I expected. The quieter numbers like Two Snowflakes, William, and Anxious were surprising. And then he said, by the way, it was easier for me to listen to this album on Bandcamp than Spotify. Okay, not sure why that happened, but interesting. Darren Lehman said, this album has some really cool sounds and some great ideas, but I prefer the softer, more subtle parts of the record versus the harder, edgier parts. Okay. Ian McIver said, my mother told me, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. I will say that there is some decent musicianship here at times, and less is more, better EP. Well, that's, I mean, that's not bad. That's, you know. It's not a decent single or a coaster, which, by the way, we gotta add, we gotta add coaster to uh, <laughs> not even That's worth harsh. listening to. That's harsh. I know. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe in the spirit of reconciliation and the the country coming together, <laughs> we should not go with a coaster. But let's wait until we actually listen to an album that's worthy of it, and then we'll bust that out. How do you know it's not this one? When it's needed, but it might be. Stay tuned. Kidding. Nobody, no, there's no coasters on this episode. I'm just going to say that. Uh, Sean, Brown made a, Sean Brown made a comment, but I think it was regard to our poll because it referenced Buffalo Tom. So <laughs> I'm not, I, we're going to skip over that one. Uh, Willie Dillon said the musicianship and recording quality are quite good, though I don't love when he pushes his voice. Okay, interesting. And Gavin said, I hadn't heard this and didn't mind it. I've chosen an EP as I tired a little as it, focused more on their metal element towards the end okay those are the comments on ignore us i almost forgot how to pronounce that right before i said it uh ignore us by into another jay tell me something you liked about this uh record there is a lot going on um Mm -hmm. and this is why i didn't want to listen to the record after because i don't remember being uh hit with so many different sounds and ideas i don't remember the vocalist being this unique uh the closest i could describe him as on this record is um like craig wedron combined with getty lee um how about andy wood <laughs> okay maybe you. i i ab'd mother love bone in this and i was like holy crap okay the phrasing is so complex at times i think that's where i was getting to shudder to think um yes but musically there's a ton of different guitar sounds uh types of playing textures i guess underneath it all which is cool is it's to me sounds like post hardcore um you know it's got heavy riffs it can be angular but then it i think broadens into i guess a progressive rock kind of feel i hear things like king floyd and 
even some like late 80s early 90s prog metal like fate's warning on the song drowning uh so all kinds of twists and turns i did not expect um you know it can be aggressive it can be a little folky at times uh it just covers so much there's so much to process and and take in um it, it grabs you right away by how unique it is but i think with each listen you pick up on new things and you start to like it's got little earworm hooks and parts in it too that you pick up on uh that that, that wear well as you listen more the last thing i'll say is i think Steven shared a live video of the band and it helped concrete in my mind just how amazing the guitar playing is. Um, especially since in the video, there's only one guitar player, uh, which on the record, you can't necessarily say for sure. Uh, there's some really cool riffs, great tones. The guitar solos in Drowning, Maritime Murder, and William are like guitar virtuoso, like Joe Satriani style guitar solos from like, you know what I mean? Uh, or Shrapnel yeah. Records or something, you know. Uh, again, not necessarily anticipating that when you first get into the record that we're going to go there, but we do. And it's, I think seeing it live was really cool uh, too, because I think on record, it's there's a lot of effects and stuff and you're not quite sure like how much of it is overdub, but seeing them do it live is was pretty remarkable especially for 1993 uh this sounds very ahead of its time in a lot of ways So that's some of the stuff I liked. How about you, Tim? Um, I just want to start with this is one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had because I was so confused that that's the reason why I went back to that record. Because I was like, okay, I don't remember this band sounding <laughs> like like yeah, yeah. like like this. Like Rush meets yeah, like you said, like this is so weird. Um and Steve Vai and Mother Love Bone and all these things are like coming together in this weird stew. And, and I, I started going to pages like on Discogs. You go to the album page and it says genre, rock, style, alternative rock, emo. OK, whatever. Um, You go to, you know, all music, whatever. There is no not one that mentions progressive rock. And this right. is dripping. If you took the name of the band off and just put that cover as it is on there. And you were like, this band uh, formed in the 90s and they're really into dream theater. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can definitely tell there's like a progressive rock element, but it's like it's 90s indie rock. Like <laughs> right. never would have thought that this was just like a straight 
post hardcore alt- you, indie rock band. You see them live and you're like, oh, this is a hardcore band. Because there are <laughs> there is like jazz fusion guitar runs on this record. Yeah. That I was sitting here listening to it before we recorded, and my wife was sitting behind me, and she just like turned and looked at me to, at one point, and she goes, "Did he just say Ghost Pirates wait for wait at sea for me?" And I was like, <laughs> uh, I, I think that he did. And then I went and looked up the lyrics and I was like, this is a Jethro Tull song. <laughs> this is about a mariner. Yeah. This is this <laughs> like trapped on an island in the weed and the need of a friend. You're a friend. Understand. Truth lives as a, lives in a house on the borderland. Love rules the nightstand. The ghost pirates wait at sea for me. Like what? What? This is not not what I expected lyrically. So my mind was like struggling for days to try to understand what I'm listening to. Cause I would just be like, what was that guitar solo? Like there'd yeah. be, it wouldn't be long, but there would be these leads and that tone. I mean, it sounded like a PRS mm-hmm. uh, that, or, or something that Steve Vai's play. I don't know what Steve Vai plays, but Ibanez. Uh, an Ibanez, like it had such that tone. Like it was not a, a Les Paul or, yeah. But then I go watch the video and I'm like, what is he playing? <laughs> yeah, it looks like a 16-year-old kid playing a Les Paul. You're just like, yeah. what? Wait, what? <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> this isn't matching up. So in that respect, it's a lot of fun because um, I know the ingredients from like the post-hardcore indie emo level, you know, and but when you throw in, you know, the weird... Uh, progressive elements with time signatures and lyrically um and then his vocal gets very dramatic at times in a way that again when on the next record and seamless i did not get that same sort of um flair from him it's very uh competent i mean it's a good vocal for the style especially but like there the the dramatic theatric flair in some of the vocal deliveries on this record it's just like i'm just like i don't know what the hell this is i don't know i don't understand <laughs> what is going on i've listened to this a dozen times and i'm sure not i'm, I'm not sure that i have a cognitive opinion of this and I'm, I'm not sure i ever will um but it's it's a fascinating listen because of that so let's go to uh steven since you picked this record i'm gonna start with you first tell me what works best for you on this record um everything i mean but it wasn't always that way i mean i i was shown this record a long time ago and i i had a lot of similar immediate reactions that i'm hearing from you guys like this is this is weird what is this like what am i listening to and i don't i don't know that i was always fully ready for it um i would find my way into the band a little bit more with seamless um right we've got that record is their Hollywood records, their major label go. Um, let's talk about the, the title of, of this record, Ignorus. Um, it was them just having a little bit of fun. They, they're from New York City and they were watching, you know, Quicksand and Shift and all these other bands uh, were, getting, were getting picked up by majors. Um, and they, but they were just doing their own thing. And so they just had a little bit of fun with, with naming the album <laughs> Ignore Us. Um, but I think it ended up being a pretty powerful statement in the end, because I don't know when I come back to this record now, I, I 
hear, and, and now that I'm much more familiar with the band's work, if you listen to, to their discography in, in chronological order, you could hear their, their development. And, and by the time they get to ignore us, it, it literally, to me, sounds like, as a listener, you get, and I think they even said this, um, so it's a great time to be an Into Another fan because um, the band has appeared on a podcast called Where It Went, which is a podcast that um, dissects the Revelation Records catalog in order. And so they've, they have now successfully talked about all of the, the Revelation Records and Seamless too. that actually made its way in the door because Rev did the vinyl um, for... Uh for seamless. So um, they talk about how like, yeah, like when you listen to the record, you're kind of just put in the center of these, these four musicians and, and they, they just made the record that they wanted to make. And it's so raw and it's so vulnerable and naked. And, and actually Richie Birkenhead, the singer, he, he calls it that um, in one of the episodes, like, and I, and I can't agree with that description more it's just you know from from the very start the opening of those bass notes and you know the instruments just kind of come in and they ebb and they flow and you know there's so many heavy groove parts on this record that would have been so easily to double and triple and start adding some layers of guitar on there but they're not there you just get peter moses chunking it out when it's time to chunk it out and then you said, like you said, Jay, ripping a virtuoso solo, like, oh, let me add some classical guitar. The crazy thing is also, let me talk about the tone real quick, Tim, you just addressed. This was played through uh, a Les Paul into a Soldano head, both of which were borrowed. He played most of this record on a borrowed Les Paul, which really, I think, just only further speaks to, to his ability as a player. And, and uh, if I could just narrow it down to one thing just simply listening to the interplay between tony bono and peter moses on the guitar it's phenomenal there are just so many parts even just like weird little transitional parts where you're like wait what just happened what did they just do there you know tony will play some like weird dissonant chord on the on the bass and and peter's twinkling through some chord and then boom next thing you know they're in they're into something else and and that interplay is found all over the record, and, and the, but the drums just hold it down. The drums just kind of stay solid and, and not too many note choices, you know, because everybody, everybody else is kind of kind of going nuts um, with, with what they're doing. Um, the, the comment uh, that said, there is some exceptional musicianship at times here. I, have, I take extreme umbrage with that with that comment i think there is if there's a lot that you can say about this record but the exceptional playing and the talent it's it pours throughout the entire thing i i i think that this is just exceptional exceptional musicianship across the board and um and it is the gift that keeps giving like you said jay like you just something new will constantly reveal itself to you when you listen to this record whether you take it in through headphones or crank it on a speaker um it's i don't know there's so many things i love about it i could go on and on um but i'll just i'll just leave it at that for now pass it to you vadim pass yeah. the ball pass the ball <laughs> um yeah well you you know you guys covered the the most of it for for me um 
the main thing was always guitar uh, from the from the very beginning. I mean, I'm first and foremost uh, a guitarist myself, and uh, Peter Moses' playing is just unbelievable. So you you guys probably know this from you know listening to a ton of music and being musicians yourself. The, um, oftentimes, what happens is is when you have somebody that goes to school for music. Peter Moses went to school for classical guitar. Uh, oftentimes, mm -hmm. those guys spend so much time practicing that they're virtuosos. They can play back anything. They can shred a thousand notes a second, but give them a song to write, and they and they can't. They can't. You know, they have they have trouble writing, especially if it's simple. You know, like they they want to make it as complicated as possible. Um, and something that just incredibly impresses me with Peter Moses every single time I listen to it is not just how exceptional he plays the, the level of technicality, but also the creative, um, you know, the creativeness of, of the playing itself is, um, you know, the phrasing and, and I, you know, what Jay, Jay said, some of the solos reminded him of like a virtuoso, like Joe Citriani or, or Steve Vai or something like that. But I just want to, I want to make sure that the audience who listens to this don't think that of that in that, he's just shredding the entire time. He's just playing like sweeps and all this kind of stuff because what he does is so melodic. Um, the more you listen to this album, the more you find that you can, you can hum back and sing back the melodic uh, guitar lines. Um, and that, that's something also that Bernard Butler from Suede uh, used to do, which I also really appreciated. I like him a lot as, as a guitar player too. Just very melodic playing, very precise. And oftentimes is a very good compliment to what the vocals are doing. But the musicianship uh, definitely in, in every member of this band is just exceptional, the way they play, they play together. Um, so those are the things I, I like the most. I also just uh, want to address a couple things that you guys mentioned um, uh, about the lyrics specifically, Tim. You, you know, you, you said some of the lyrics are, uh, you know, just, just very strange and, and all that kind of stuff. So just a little bit of a background, I guess, uh, um, Richie's mother, um, he grew up in, in New York City and his mother wrote musicals. So he was raised in a, in a pretty musical family that, you know, he, from what I understand, he's a big fan of a lot of musicals and also a lot of like old jazz standards. He mentioned Cole Porter was one of his biggest influences from, from way back when, as far as lyricists go and also being influenced by uh, children's stories. And, um, you know, you can kind of get that a lot, like in, you know, in Anxious at the, the final track, you know, where he's talking about imagining you having, uh, as a human, having like animal parts and, and having wings and having gills and all this kind of stuff. And like you said about the ghost ship. So there's that element of fantasy, I think, that comes in probably uh, some, something to do influence um, from, from his uh, upbringing. And then also being very influenced by David Bowie and Pink Floyd. You know, you guys mentioned Pink Floyd, um, which, you know, D David Bowie's lyrics definitely kind of go outside the realm of what's considered like normal lyrics. Um, so that's probably where, where that comes from. And then uh, just one last thing before, before I let you guys take over is that the Peter Moses, what's, what's really incredible about him to me is that this was his first real band, uh, the guitarist. Um, he's, you know, he, I guess he's played in some local bands that, that haven't really done anything, but it was a complete coincidence how this whole band even came together because Richie and Drew, the drummer, they came from hardcore. They came from these, these classic 80s hardcore bands. It was uh, Richie from Underdog and then Youth of Today and then Drew from Bold. And then there was these two other guys. And the two other guys came from a more metal background, but 
in hardcore, a lot of times that didn't mix, you know, you didn't really have you oftentimes you would find players and you would play sort of like with guys that are within the scene. And I think that that's really awesome that they sort of reached out from that. They wanted to do something different. And so to do that, they, they decided to play with guys who are not involved from hardcore, you know, they didn't have this sort of same background that they did. And therefore they can bring completely different influences to the table and make a sound that is to this day, still incredibly unique, unique, you know, Steve, Steve mentioned ignores, um, was, it was kind of a, a, a play on words, ignore us because all their friends were getting signed to major labels at the time. And it seemed like it, they eventually got signed, but it took them much longer, but that also had a lot to do with crowd reactions where I think a lot of people who went to see them, they kind of expected it to be more of like a hardcore type band, which is the scene that two of them came from. And also the, the albums were on revelation, but they didn't know what to do. You know? So a lot of people, they just, they were like, what is going on? What is this? Um, but the, the four of them playing live, you know, is what this record sounds like. Like with that level of, of precision and technicality, they just wowed everybody that saw them play. So even though, you know, you, you guys kind of joked around about the lyrics being like, like funny, imagine being in a room with a couple hundred people singing along every word to those who are doing their best to mimic Richie's insane range. Um, you know, it works, it works. And, and that, that's the thing that makes you want to go back to, to this band uh, for me, at least. Uh, what you said about him coming from a, a theater background, that completely makes sense now because a lot of these are just, they're character driven, you know, stories instead of them being, uh, you know, some, when I think about like Jawbox lyrics, they're, they're not, to me, they're not stories. He's, he's weaving, you know, interesting, you know, lyrics together for a point, but like, you know, William, for example, like the one that I brought up, like, there's there's something happening there as far as far as like telling a tale which would work in that theatrical setting and also why like on anxious like that that could have been out of a musical <laughs> from you know the actually <laughs> funny uh that was when my wife who was sitting behind me listening she got up and goes uh that's it for me and she walked out of the room <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had wings on me And if I grew fur, imagine the luxury So she will she will not be falling on the worthy album uh, end of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, that's all great background because it, it helps fill in and like sort of more make sense of what I was hearing because I was so confused by it. Um, and you're right. This isn't I think when Jay and I mentioned Steve I and Joe Satriani. It's not to mean like, it's not like there's constant soloing over the record. It's just like when they do take these little moments to throw in those runs, 
you're just hearing that precision and those and that tone of those guys, which was completely unexpected. Yeah, it's that kind of competence with a solo, which you wouldn't expect to hear from a band that's, you know, sort of in a post-hardcore. Like, yes, there's some great guitar players in those bands, but like there's just, like you said, a tone and a precision and technique that is unusual in some of those solos, which I, I enjoyed. It's whatever. I mean, I don't know what the scales are for the songs. I haven't broken them down, but the way that he's using the scale, like mm-hmm. I can tell, oh, that dude's. Yeah, that dude's taught been taught to play guitar. He yes. didn't learn listening to like yes. a Bad Brains album like that kid right. was, has sat down and done pentatonic scales <laughs> and melodian and whatever right. the hell else the chlamydia and all the other scales so, <laughs> those are modes the modes modes yeah modes <laughs> jay and i have I, jay did chlamydian you take a mode. single did you take a single <laughs> guitar lesson i did oh you did i didn't know you were yeah, taught i took him for i took him for a couple of years and then i quit and forgot everything and then relearned it all myself okay sure i did what about drums? Did you ever, did you learn drums no. from anybody? No. Has anybody ever learned drums from a professional drummer? <laughs> or does everybody just get a pillow and start banging in their room to a cheap chicken? Yeah, I'm pretty, sure that's, I'm pretty sure that's what happens. I mean, I have friends who say they give lessons, but I've never met any students. So I right. <laughs> right. Anyway. Um, Jay, was there anything about this record that didn't work for you? Well, it's a grower. You know, I think there's some things about it that, um, in particular, when they they get a little softer, slower, more folky, uh, it's a scratcher, and I'm not quite sure. It makes me fe- have weird feelings in my tummy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about two snowflakes or? Yeah, even the verses in running into walls. I'm like, wow, we're kind of lilting here. This is this is this is different. Um, anxious is, has some moments like that. But, you know, they all end up having redeeming parts, even though they might take a left turn into something that's a little weird um, or unexpected and and both stylistically, lyrically, just technique, sound. So so those moments took me a while. But I think if you're in for the whole journey of the song and the whole journey of the record and like what it's a in whole about it makes sense. Um, you know, William's a good example. Like there's parts of that song that kind of drag and I don't love, but then you get to the guitar solo and being part and it's incredible. So it kind of makes the other parts of the song have a purpose to get you there. So, yeah, I mean, there's some, some things here and there, especially on early listens that I didn't love, but I think with repeated lists, I found myself, um, kind of pulled into them so that's about what didn't work for me yeah um as i went through this record over and over i'm like oh two snake two snowflakes is like their battle of evermore like, <laughs> yeah or going to california or something right. like yeah it, it's such and it, again because i was confused i was like i thought this band was from 1994 not 1974 i'm, I'm confused why this sounds like this um it is like a jolt i mean you got to like pay attention when stuff's happening because it's from the vocal runs that he's doing at times to the guitar parts, to the 
and then the way that the bass and the drums lock up with some really weird stuff time signature-wise. Before I forget, I think the first singer that came to mind and maybe first band that we haven't talked about is Mike Patton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was my first like, oh, this is like Mike Patton, like maybe like a Mr. Bungle kind of thing. But it's not that. I don't know. I find this more musical um, or more coherent. Also had some Peter Gabriel era Genesis. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so it has that level of like i mean which mike Patton does the same thing right i mean right. He can oh yeah a ballad he can be like turn on a dime he can do metal like you know yeah. so it that was my first connection of like okay i think this is where this is going it was more in that space oh yeah when it when the first i got to, remember the first two songs and i was like are we gonna get like a polka song on this record or like but they yes they don't do that which right. i love i was very happy because I'm I th- I very much respect Mr. Bungle, but it's not something that I right. listen to on a casual. Like basis. we're not going to the circus, you know. Right. We're not going back to back to the 1800s. Like <laughs> you just feel like having a seance. <laughs> right. right. I do think some of the songs, like to me, this would like in the way that uh, Led Zeppelin Four is four songs and four songs. Like I feel like this is a it holds my attention and then like lulls at times because these songs um are at when things become so complex and weird and then when you release from that like that release sometimes is like disorienting how how uh and then it's like quiet so like you get like five minutes of like an acoustic it's it doesn't hold my attention quite as well um so maybe like a song like anxious or William would be better at three minutes instead of five minutes. Um, but I don't, there's nothing I dislike. It's just, I don't know that I'll ever really wrap my head around what this record is and that it came out in our decade. (laughs) So, um, is there anything that you guys don't like about this record? Is there possibly anything? Boy, for me, no, not at the, not at this point. I mean, what, like I said, it is a grower, so you know, I, I didn't always love this record, um, but I think once you let it reveal itself to you, uh, yeah, for me, there's it's it's a it's a perfect record. It's nine songs, and I take the journey uh with the band in preparing for this um i i got to go camping and i was uh at a really beautiful place outside and i i love to listen to an album um in the same setting by by day and then do it again by night um and for my night listen of this this album last night with the moon wasn't full but it was a perfectly clear desert sky so the moon was just so bright and i just i was with the, i was right there with richie the whole time and when he belts him out i just i just i felt like belting him out at the moon with him uh his i want to talk a little bit more about his lyrics um he is definitely a storyteller um but a lot of them come from very personal places um and and you can hear him talk pretty sincerely about it um, on any of those those interviews. Um, again, shout out to the Where It Went podcast um, for sitting and talking with those guys. 
uh, as much as they did. And like songs like Running Into Walls and Poison Fingers, he, you know, he's, uh, this goes back to the vulnerability of this record. And he's, he's talking about his childhood and, you know, he experienced, he experienced some levels of abuse um, and uh, growing up. And so, you know, he's, he's woven little, little lyrical stories about that. Um, but if you really dig in there and you really read along, it's just, it's, it's so profound to me and it's, it's so emotional and I, I never hear anything that he does. It's so funny, you know, you brought up Andy Wood, which I'm so glad you did. Cause I, I was trying to think about how this would appeal to you guys, knowing that you guys are like some eighties rock heads that, that found your way into the nineties, like. I think about Van Halen a lot lately when I'm listening to this and I think about like just four really talented music musicians playing in a rock band together, each, you know, each at the top level of their own craft. And I'm like, this is just like, you know, Van Halen filtered through punk and hardcore a little bit. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's nothing that Richie does to me. Like if you just listen surface level, like, it can sound kind of cheesy, right? When he, when he, when he pushes his voice, I think somebody mentioned that in the comments or when he belts out those, those monstrous highs. But when you really dig into the lyrics and you really get a sense of where he's coming from, where he was writing from, it's, it just pulls on, on the heartstrings for me. And it, it, it makes it so that I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't see it as like a cheesy rock vocalist delivery. I, I, it feels like emotional catharsis to me when he sings. And the, the level and depth and breadth of his lyrics, um, I think, are what take it there and what prevent me from being able to enjoy other vocalists that maybe can sing or be as theatrical as him, but don't have the lyrics and don't have the substance to back it up. And whereas I feel like Richie Birkenhead really, really, truly does. and it takes this, this band to the next level for me. Um, no, there's to answer your original question, <laughs> there isn't anything on here that, that doesn't work for me. What about you? I do. And they're very minor, oh, yeah. minor gripes. <laughs> um, one of them is more just like in an alternate universe type situation, but the main thing that I, and it's difficult to critique an album you've listened to for 25 years, which is how long I've had this record. And then also having, you know, the connection with, working at the label and then meeting Richie later and becoming like a chess buddy with him. And I also have an into another tattoo, all this, you know, so I'm like a, a little biased, I guess, but um, my biggest issue with uh, this record is the, the snare drum. I, I, I just, it bugs me to no end um, because it's just too upfront in the mix. It's too snappy. I, I don't think it was the right sound for this record. Unfortunately, nothing can really be done about that at this point. And they were working with what they had at the time, you know, they were under a budget with revelation as opposed to a budget with Hollywood records later on, you know, working with Allison chains and Pearl Jam 10 producer. Um, so that's the main thing. The second one, again, this is like in an alternate universe, but it's also the thing why it makes some people love this album is that there was almost zero overdubs on this album in terms of guitar layering. So, you know, a lot of people use that as a studio trick to make things sound more full and more big, or also when they're soloing, you can play a rhythm part underneath, but because they were a four piece band with just one guitarist, 
that's exactly how they recorded the album. So I think that's something that, that Jay was like, I'm not sure about on the record if there was overdubs. Um, there is very little. Like what, what you hear is what the band sounds like when they play. Every part is covered live. Um, I can attest to that because I've seen them play m- many times. And it just, it sounds like you hear it on the record. Like that's what Ignorus is, is what it to another sounds like. And it's very impressive regardless of if you like the music or not, because everyone in that band can just play. So, but the alternate universe thing would be if there was a version of this record where there would be a little bit more beefing up on some of the heavier parts or like um, a rhythm holding it down while there's a solo happening, you know, but the bass covers it so well. I mean, that bass tone is monstrous and the way that Tony used to play is very melodic. I mean, he's not playing root notes the entire time, like in punk and hardcore bands. Let me tell you that. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's playing like jazz lines. He's playing like thirds. He's playing sevens. I mean, he's doing runs. Um, he's doing arpeggios and he's playing chords on the bass. So it works, but that's, that's it for me. It would be those things. The snare is just really, really bothersome to me, but I can tune it out because I've heard this album hundreds of times. Imagine listening to a 311 album twenty-five years. <laughs> it's not quite that bad. It's no. like a thra- it's like a thrash metal sounding snare. Yeah, I guess because I've heard it in the genre before, it doesn't uh, impact me the, the same way that like a really tight piccolo does. Um but so I was thinking about this coming out in this year and coming out of Revelation. But even since you worked for Revelation, can you talk a little bit about like where would this get serviced to? Is this only to college radio? Well, see, um, this is the this was the issue. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely go to college radio. Which I mean, does anyone listen to college radio anymore? I don't know. And, no, but and back the, in '94, it was huge. Yeah, in '94, they tried to service it to. I mean, I didn't work for the label back then, so I I, I can't gotcha. speculate on on what they did um, for that that particular record. But I will say that what they talked about on on the Where It Went podcast, which Steve mentioned a lot is that they seem to not fit anywhere. And, and that That's was a I big figured. issue. Yeah. This was a big issue with the band because when you have a label that is trying to promote you, when you have a PR company, whatever, like you have these people trying to work your record, they need to figure out what to do with you. What formatting are you in? What, what genre do you fall under? What bands do you package up to play with? And these are all things that this band struggled with because they just don't have anybody that our contemporaries or sounds like them where they can't be pigeonholed into a box very easily. And unfortunately that's oftentimes what happens when you have these like really exploratory artists, like they just, they fall by the wayside because either they're over people's heads or the labels just don't know what to do with them. 
Uh, that's I think that's another play on that ignores thing, you know, the, the title. of Right. The, that's something that they and and even on the reunion when, you know, after the Rev 25 show in 2012, they did a few little tours here and there. Um, I went to see them on the East Coast. Uh, they did a, a week's worth of shows opening for Clutch and that did not work at all. Let me tell you, like the, the no. Clutch fans hated them. Like, I mean, I there was like a handful of, of us that were there that were big fans of into another, but no one that was there to see clutch gave a shit about into another. And that's like, I'm saying that in all honesty, you know, like they just, I heard people saying, get off the stage, like, boo, you know, booing them. Like the, it was like ridiculous, but that's how it was even back when they were getting packaged, you know, like they played on tours with white zombie, their first show ever actually was white zombie, but they also toured with them and they toured with like super grass you know, like they just like <laughs> all these things that just, yeah, like it doesn't make sense. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And um, yeah. So to answer your question, I don't know. I don't know how you Got can it. promote this properly. That's what I was thinking. And that's why uh, Andy Wood from Mother Love Bone came up because I was trying to think of contemporary in the same like vocal style. And that was the only one I could come up with. And then musically, a contemporary, I couldn't really figure out where they fit because. This doesn't sound like any, like literally anything else that I've heard from 1994. I, I or, think, or, or even till now. You yeah, know, the still. band that there, there was one band that came out in the early 2000s that would get compared a lot to them, which is Coheed and Cambria. I don't know if you guys mm. ever mm. listened to that band, but especially the earlier Coheed and Cambria stuff, a lot of people used to be like, hey, this is a more uh, tamer, if you will, and, and maybe more pop, poppy version of into another so that was the one band where i think maybe if they huh. went out with them that would kind of work but yeah should, not much else we should uh do a show where we go back and re, re, uh, rewrite history and like put together the correct package tours <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah because i'm thinking i'm like racking my brain like so early 90s 92 you said faith no more faith no more probably faith no more work a little bit there were even like not that these bands were successful, but like Galactic Cowboys was like this weird like metal froggy pop power pop kind of band that we've reviewed. I think talked about in the past. Yeah, I could see them touring with them. I could see them touring with like bands like Dream Theater, which were more prog metal. I think their audiences would be into like the they would be more into the singing than a hardcore audience would be, um, and they would be could be able to connect with the musicianship. So I don't know, that might be a fun uh, round table to do. It's like <laughs> pull some of our bands that are that that we reviewed that are odd and actually put them on tour with the right the right other bands. All right. So wait a minute here. What what did Dream Theater put out in the nineties? I gotta look this up. The big the, you talking about the records? Yeah. So what would have come out around this time? Uh images and words? Yeah, that came out like a year or two before this. Okay, that's ninety two, and then Awake came out in ninety four, and they toured with like King, they toured they, Galactic Cowboys, they toured King's, King's X. X, yeah, they toured with uh, um, Eleven is another band at that time that like I could see them this band mixing with. You can like, see a King's X into another tour. Yeah, I mean that's the weird thing is like if they let's say they do that. Maybe that changed the trajectory of the next record. Maybe they don't go and record it with the guy from Pearl Jam and, you know, the Seattle sound and go to Hollywood Records. Maybe they make an even more progressive tinged album 
because they're like touring with Dream Theater and King's X now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about those audiences that would be different for this band is that there's no judgment. It's just about musicianship. Like the there's no like image to it. Nobody cares what the image is really. It's like it's due to like musicianship. So like yes, you can get away yes. with doing just about anything and dressing in any way you want. I could see that audience being more open to what this band actually sounds like. And and getting into the heavier hardcore stuff as being like, hey, a new thing that they maybe aren't that familiar with, but sort of fits this sort of proggy kind of concept verse something of music that's maybe a little simpler. It's more about attitude and message right. and not as heady as I think this is. Well, in a, a band line. like Quicksand has like, I don't want to say not progressive elements, but it has like, yeah. there's tricky stuff going on in those yeah. songs. They're not just like four, four drop D, you know, riffs, but it's not progressive. I mean, you, no. you wouldn't put Quicksand in front of Dream Theater, but even though this band and Quicksand are not that far off in some respects, but this band, yeah, I mean, that's what makes them so unusual which is both frustrating and like very attractive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's get into our overall ratings for this record. We'll also discuss the poll as it sits right now. Uh, But first, Jay, what are you going to, how are you going to land on this one? Were the album better EP or decent single? I'm going to uh, land on a worthy album. It's all, it's 44 minutes good length um i'm still getting my head around two snowflakes um maritime murder some aspects of that anxious some aspects of that but outside of those couple left turns uh, it holds together as as an album for sure like even though they explore all this space because i think they keep it constrained to the you know these four people with less, not a ton of overdubs, you end up with something that sounds like whole, right? It sounds like a thing uh, conceived by four minds putting in probably a ton of hours and rehearsal space working on this material. So uh, it's divergent, but also coherent. That makes sense. Um, Unlike Mr. Bungle, which is divergent and schizophrenic yes exactly <laughs> this record i don't know why but this record made me think of um Caven's jupiter as sort of like this standalone strange record that i can't make you know that record to me is 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 amazing and this record is amazing you're either going to get this and think it's a worthy album or you would toss coaster it you'd coaster it that's why I mentioned coaster earlier. <laughs> now, for me, it's not a coaster. I mean, it's it's a worthy album because I'm still just confounded by it. Um, and there's so much cool stuff happening. It is definitely not for someone who's looking for just chugging helmet riffs, you know, grinding over and over again. Or if you're if you're into a really uh, unexpected and unparalleled. Uh, progressive post hargor emo album i don't know i don't know uh how else to i thought we settled on prog oh okay (laughs) post prog 
Post-prog. <laughs> you just invent post, post-core prog. Post-core. It's got to be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Find out if that's a thing. If not, we're, we're trademarking it right now. We've got to jump on that as fast as possible. Post-progressive, it is a thing. God damn it. Why didn't I think? <laughs> what is post-progressive? Just like playing one note? I'm looking for... Forever? Br- Brian Eno. Oh, That's okay. the best example. Briny, uh, Talking Heads, even Radiohead is considered. Wait, what? No, that's a bullshit category. Then they don't have it yeah. wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you can't put the Talking Wikipedia Heads and Briny in the and and Radiohead in the same category. There's like those are very clear, clear. Whatever. Fuck that guy. <laughs> whoever came up with that. Um. I I'm I'm going to ask uh just uh because it's required of me by uh the uh, legal counsel uh where do you two gentlemen land on this record yeah of course i'm at a worthy album i think it's the band's high watermark um i think in a lot of ways they think of it as as that too you know they they started the first record comes out in 91 and they start touring and they start hitting it really really hard and and what you just said jay is, is absolutely right they spent a lot of time in rehearsal spaces the band was just playing nonstop. they were writing songs on the road during sound checks like this and this is just the result of them being at the absolute top of their game and you know regardless of of all the marketing and business aspects that go into making a record and putting it out into the world and finding its audience take all of that away and just simply as a piece of music as an album and for where they were as a band at the time and where they would go after this like it's that sweet spot it's that it's that actual like sweet spot in their catalog that um is undeniable in my opinion so yeah we're the album all the way so when we did the one before were you like oh they they did, i can't wait to drop this bomb on them in six years <laughs> not not right away actually no i still hadn't like i still hadn't fallen head over heels for it but this guy uh would end up exposing me to it um you know, I'd be like, what the hell is this? And he'd be like, it's into another. How do you not know this record? That, your and choice I, of, of verbiage there was a little concerning. What did I say? You got something about exposing yourself. And it was. Uh... <laughs> I didn't catch it either. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Um, no. And, and so, yeah, I don't know. Just kind of like I finally found myself there. And, and I think it strangely enough, I think it was two snowflakes. Um, I, I think hearing that song out of context of the record and just like walking into a room and, and having it be on and, and finally he- hearing it in a way that it just really worked for me. Cause I, it was, you know, much like it's kind of baffling you a little bit, Jay, it was the same for me at first. I was like, I don't know what's going on with this song. Um, but you know, once, once you let it work its way into your soul, uh, it's a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous love song. It really is. You also change your pick. You originally had a different pick for, for I this did. podcast I, episode. So when he changed it, I was like, oh. I did, yeah. All the scheduling back and forths. Um, yeah, I was going to talk about a different album. But then uh, I, I've been digging so hard into Ignorus lately that I went back and revisited um, the Seamless review. And I think it was when I did that that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick Ignorus and, and show show off a different side of the band and i love um i love our friend chris martz so much 
so many of his picks are are just right in my wheelhouse. And um, I, it, you know, I haven't spoken to him directly about this, but I I've been meaning to ask him because he he said in the episode that he found a lot of their older material to be meandering. He didn't specifically list any any albums or anything. Um, so part of part of me was I was like I want to challenge. I want to do like a part two. To the, to the into another uh section on dig me out and uh you know like I said, it's, it's a very different record it's a very very different record in so many ways so i thought it would be fun to to talk about in in contrast to what y'all have already reviewed excellent and for formality's sake uh vadim <laughs> yeah we're we're the album for sure and um i, I just want to say a couple of things first first of all i want to say on on the critical listen you know with critical ear because i've been listening to this album for years um i i actually didn't really realize how much acoustic guitar is on this album there there is quite a bit of it uh in fact i would almost say there's like 50 50 acoustic guitar to electric guitar on this album i think you're right yeah which i didn't even notice and and when i say that i mean one or the other as we mentioned little overdub so it's not like an acoustic layered underneath of, it, of an electric uh, which is really interesting because that's not common especially not for post-hardcore bands you know mm-hmm. just to have like songs that are just straight acoustic songs but they're not typical like strummy open chord acoustic songs i mean there's there's still complex um acoustic songs um so two just two things i want to say really quick the um the first thing is is thank you um for your guys observations on on this record you know i i, I really i just want to acknowledge that because this is definitely a record that requires multiple listening, I think, to really kind of understand it. And with what you guys do, I imagine it's not very often where once you're done listening to an album for the week or the two weeks or whatever, that you return to it, you know, just because you're always moving on to the next thing and you have your own personal favorites and whatnot. So it's it's difficult to just for someone to just throw an album at you and just be like, here, here's all these amazing things about it, but you only have a week. To, to really like hear it or to learn it or you know to recognize it and you guys seem to have really done that on on your listens but this is definitely an album that reveals itself with subsequent listens you know i, I and i, I want to stress that to anybody who would want to check this album out where at first you might not get it or or be into it even you know the vocals i think are something that's difficult for most people to get into on their initial listens but then when when you really kind of see the bigger picture, they sometimes become the thing that's the best about the band. You know, for me, it's still guitar, but those vocals, I mean, Richie's vocals are amazing and his lyrics are amazing. That's the first thing. And then the second thing I wanted to say was actually to you, Steve, I didn't tell you this on purpose. It's kind of funny that you did change your pick to this particular album because the only other time I've been on the Dig Me Out podcast was when we reviewed Ida together. And there is a connection of this record to ida which is what like just bizarre <laughs> there's a bizarre connection so the back cover of ignorus this this painting right here um is done by ida pearl who was also a member of ida she played violin in ida and she has also done paintings for a few of their album covers as well so i just thought that was kind of funny that it ended up being where both of us are on a podcast episode and we have a connection between our two episodes and you probably didn't even re- realize that. No, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. that Although when so I was random. Doing, when I was doing the research, I was, I was pretty, I was like, wait, 
Ida Pearl did some artwork. You asked me, you asked me, you're like, hey, do you know who did this this uh cover? And then I replied back, Ida Pearl immediately. You're like, damn, son, you'd know you're here. <laughs> he knows uh the artists behind all album artwork. Uh that's uh from from Storm uh Thorgensen or how what was his name? Strom Sermon? No. <laughs> Storm. You got it right the first time. Okay. And while we're while we're talking about the art though, I do I do just want to point out that it well, A, this is a really beautiful album cover. Like if you really get a chance to <clears throat> to look at it in a high res format. Um it came from a painting by by a guy named Walt Paper. Is that his name? I believe. Yeah. yeah. Walt Paper. He's also in uh he shows up in some of their music videos. Um and there was a funny story that that the guys told about like taking this piece was which was actually split into two two different physical pieces and uh, having to walk it to a different place in New York city and find a place to properly be able to photograph it. And, you know, we're talking about the, or the early nineties. So it was still a little bit more difficult to, to do an album layout and all those things. Um, so that was really fun to hear. And then this is what they, this is what they uh, did for the gatefold uh, photo. It's, it's a, literally a black and white photo of them shirtless laying in a in a bed together um which you know just to further uh throw some some confusing <laughs> imagery right yes now i gotta yes, now right. i gotta tie that into all this yeah you gotta tie yeah, exactly <laughs> what uh what color is your vinyl this is vadim's you got remember. the blue, blue i think i think it's blue yeah this is so you have is that a re that's the repress yeah. Yeah, it was a repress, but I do have a original um seamless on clear. Uh, how's the here. uh how's the audio quality on the repress? It's fantastic minus that snare. <laughs> <laughs> well, cuz I was reading I I added this to my Discogs want list and um there were Let's there talk about some... this afterwards cuz I could send you a copy. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll take I'll take care of it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh I was just curious because there was different comments on different pressing colors. I was like, oh, I got to pay attention to that, apparently. <laughs> uh, so our poll over at uh, Patreon, interestingly, better EP one, 64%. Were the album 36%. No, nobody voted for decent single. So, and that kind of makes sense because if you're really into sort of the guitar rock aspect of this, you might just like five songs because a lot of this album has acoustic on it. Um, or you might like the quieter stuff and the heavier stuff doesn't work for you. So I guess if you're not completely sold on this record, that kind of tracks. Um, are you surprised by that turnout, Jay? Uh, it, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it kind of makes sense. I, I think um, I, I I could see it being... What, I guess what I'm trying to say is polarizing. And then when you average right. the votes, you end up with an EP. So it's like either you're into it or you're not. And it's sort of like the average of that is going to end up being an EP. Isn't there a band called Into It Over It? Yes. yes. They need to tour with this band. <laughs> they, call, they call it the Into It Into It Tour. Are there any other bands? Boo. Into Boo it? this man. <laughs> into It Twice. Well, there's, in there, there's a metal band called Into Eternity, I think, as well. Oh, there yes. is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Yes. That into it, into it, into it. 
Sponsored <laughs> by post, Intuit. The post frog tour. Post is yeah, sponsored by Intuit. Oh, I wanted to throw um a, another little fun nug out there. Um Ooh, fun two, nug. Two of their music videos were made by a director of photography named Tim Ives that would go on to work on a lot of really big things, including Stranger Things. Oh. Yeah. And I they said House of Cards, too. I cannot recommend um, Into Another Music videos enough. There's only, like, I think three or four of them, um, but they are all awesome. Great, great music videos for anyone that might be curious. If you want to watch music videos on YouTube in 480p quality. <laughs> this, uh, this, <laughs> band had, this band had so many, like, classic, like, you know, bands that never broke through in the 90s, like, bad things happening to them when they signed to the major the biggest thing that frustrated them about it was they had this record made on this huge budget that they just couldn't get into people's hands in europe an entire cd pressing of this record was distributed with all of the proper artwork but all of the music contained on the discs was for some trance band it it just a total error in mm. in CD manufacturing happened to them. Uh, one of the music videos, uh, I believe, Mutate Me for Seamless, um, there was a, a mastering error that happened um, for, for the music being put onto the video. And so when it aired the one time it did on 120 minutes, the volume was just like absurdly low. Like, you know, everyone's just watching the program. It's all normal. And then suddenly this video comes on and you're like, wait, I can't hear anything cranking it all the way up. And uh, you know, it's just like little, little things like that, but just like that add up. And you're like, man, this band, like <laughs> everyone's confused and confounded by them. And then, you know, these, these types of uh, logistical things are happening to them, which are completely out of their control. I'm sure a- you guys have never heard of nineties indie <laughs> bands going to major label and having woes. Oh, that's, that's uh that's new territory for us. <laughs> someone, someone in this band, when they were a child kicked a puppy and that this is, this is what haunted them for the rest of their life. Uh, well, it's funny you say that because they're all vegan. So that's, <laughs> that probably did not happen. <laughs> That's what turned them Are into they a vegan. vegan? Well, oh, there you go. That's that's that's, that, that's the Tony. That's the that's the villain story. Is that that dog grew up to be the head of AR at uh, the label? <laughs> He's <laughs> like a top McGruff dog. the crime dog situation. <laughs> only be he went into AR. <laughs> so it was a Hollywood dog. So yes, Pluto. Pluto, Hollywood dog. <laughs> And he's driving around in a Ferrari Testarossa. By the way, um, what, I had a friend who worked at AOL in the mid-2000s, and AOL and Disney and Hollywood were all somehow connected. There was a big merger. Yes. And I, and I had asked her, I said, hey, can you go over to the Hollywood uh, office and just ask anybody if there's any sort of into another stuff laying around like maybe they've got some promo posters or just anything and she said that not a single person in the office had ever heard of the band <laughs> not one <laughs> so but that's unsurprising there's probably a closet in there that somebody forgot about and they like stuck a box of it's just full of vinyl and and posters and postcards and buttons and 
and it's someday a cleaning person will go up there and retrieve this banker's box and just be like <laughs> i don't know what it is and they'll just throw it in a dumpster and yeah. a million tears will, will fall unexpectedly <laughs> from into another fans no a great a great uh cry in the universe like uh <laughs> like when yoda died anyway uh Thank you so much for bringing this record, Stephen, to us. And thank you, Vadim, for uh, in the roundabout way of introducing him to this record. Uh, this is a very interesting addition to our... It's not often that the second record, w- when we do two albums by a band, that you are like, is this the same band? <laughs> like Usually there's, there's bits and pieces. You're like, oh, that's, yeah, I, I, this, makes, this is a logical step. Like, poof. This one, the... Maybe one day I'll bring Lush Life by Bowery Electric to you guys. Okay. Since I have to say, it. if I had to redo that album review, I would probably have a different opinion of it now. For beat, for beat yeah. Yeah. You did, you did mention that before. I'm just, I just like busting your guys' balls. <laughs> <laughs> just, just keep poking that, that wound. Just keep poking at it. <laughs> We need to do. Jay, re- said, Jay said, "I can't even rate this because this is so far from what I want out of music." <laughs> Did I? <laughs> yeah, that so, sounds like, like something you I'm would paraphrasing. say. Paraphrasing, I'm paraphrasing. Wow. It was something along those lines. I, <laughs> I was swear. like, "Damn, we got to do commentary on our original. We got to do commentary <laughs> tracks on that our original episodes. A, re- a reaction videos on YouTube of our own episodes. Yes." What are, we, what are we doing here? Especially <laughs> if we can pause it and be like, wait a minute, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> Tim, I think that's the my thing. recollection of your pronunciation of this album title, like real talk, what got recorded and released was that you said ignoranus. <laughs> True or false? <laughs> what? You mean now or the previous one? No, no, on the seamless episode, I'm pretty sure the way you pronounced it was ignoranus. Ignoranus. <laughs> uh, that sounds about right. Like, it sounds like my pronunciation skills were applied correctly. Ignoranus. Ignore the anus. Ignore the anus. <laughs> All right. Let's not let's not uh, descend into into chaos here. Um, if you would like to be like the uh, gentleman who joined us this this evening and uh, suggest an album, you can do so by joining the union at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com for as little as two bucks a month. Uh, you get to vote in the polls, which happen every week. Uh, we have a month by month elimination tournament nine albums a week for the first three weeks the two winners top two vote getters of each poll moves on to the final round at the end of the month and that picks our album review that come in at digmeoutpodcast.com on the suggested album page name of an album name of a band tell us why you're suggesting it and it'll make it into one of our polls over at patreon where you get cool swag like t-shirts and uh, stickers and uh are, are are we working on some new stuff jay for the union we are we are yes. we're always working on something new we're in the lab we're using the test tubes and the beakers and the 
and little boily things that boil the thing, you know, like oh, the man. I'm in the beat. I'm in the beat lab working it out. Oh, you're in the beat lab. I'm sorry. Maybe that's why we haven't come out with anything new in a while. We're in the wrong labs. <laughs> I'm trying to di- get some dinosaur DNA in here. All right. Got a park to build. Uh, Fox newsletter. That's what comes to you every week when you sign up. It's full of new release information, 80s and 90s relevant music uh, uh, that's uh, available on uh, you know the, the physical and the, and the electronic mediums, as well as we talk about uh, documentaries, uh, books, that kind of thing. Two new reviews each week. Just recently talked about the Woodstock documentary that everybody has uh, t- probably seen. Uh, the three-part version on Netflix, not the earlier HBO one. Uh, yeah, it's worth checking out. And you'll find more stuff like that at the box, which is available to our patrons. And if you like what you heard on this podcast, particularly if you are in the band Into Another and you liked what you heard on this podcast, maybe give us some uh, positive feedback over at Apple Podcasts. For JM Tim, we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.